So all week long, we are receiving important news regarding COVID-19. We watch press briefings from all manner of government leaders. We watch videos put out by churches. And we receive innumerable emails from all of our favorite restaurants, stores, and everyone else that says, this is how we're dealing with the coronavirus crisis. Some people want to know, and others are really tired of hearing about it. Central to what we do as believers and as a church is to worship God. And Jesus said that this must be done in spirit and in truth. This morning, as we seek to worship God, we seek to worship Him through our study of His Word. And we are privileged to study one of the most important passages in all of Scripture. These verses are thick with doctrine and they give us a great perspective on God's character. His character shines in the face of our sin. In this passage, we will learn of God's character, of God's actions, and of our submission. Now, those are not the headings for our study. Those are just generalizations for what we will look at. What we want to notice, first of all, is that God's character is on display in the face of our sin. We're going to read the entirety of this section of Scripture, and then we'll dive into this. Beginning in verse 21 of Romans chapter 3, God's Word says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. God's character is on display in the face of our sin. We first want to notice that God's righteousness is on display. God's righteousness 
is on display. In verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Verse 25, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. And then in verse 26, it was to show His righteousness at the present time. And so we see this very important emphasis upon the righteousness of God on display, not from the law in this particular concept, but apart from the law, through the Gospel, the righteousness of God is on display. We talked about this at the beginning of our study of Romans. God is demonstrating His righteousness through the Gospel. And the Scripture says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul has been unfolding this concept through these opening chapters. There are some clear aspects of God's righteousness that are on display in these chapters that we've already noted, and so we'll just mention them briefly. First of all, the Gospel demonstrates God's righteous character. The Gospel demonstrates God's righteous character. It is God's righteousness that demands righteousness. His righteousness that that dwells within Him demands a justice, a righteousness in us. And so God's justice necessitates the Gospel. God's justice is satisfied. We see this particularly come to clarity in this text in Romans chapter 3. God's justice is satisfied because of the propitiatory work of Jesus Christ. We'll notice again later that propitiation is the settlement of God's wrath. It is the righteous work of Jesus Christ that is the basis of the Gospel. We'll remember that Peter proclaims that Jesus is the Lamb without blemish and without spot. Paul articulates clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 that Jesus knew no sin. And the author of Hebrews speaks loudly concerning Jesus when he says, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The Gospel demonstrates God's righteous character. Secondly, the Gospel provides the believer's righteous standing. Now we're going to talk about this quite a bit this morning as well. The concept of justification. Uh, When a person turns from their sin to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, God declares that person eternally righteous. A declaration from God of the sinner's righteousness... Because in faith, when they turn from their sin and turn to Christ, God removes, remits. He removes their sin forever. And He grants to them a perfect standing of righteousness. This is the gift of God's grace. We'll talk more about that momentarily. A third concept that we see is clear from these chapters about the righteousness of God is that the Gospel transforms the believer's condition 
of righteousness. Not just his position, that his records have been changed, but his actual condition of righteousness. So in addition to the positional union-based righteousness that God imputes to the record of the believer, the gospel applied to the Christian life results in practical demonstrations of righteousness through obedience to God's standard of righteousness. In other words, uh, we walk not according to our might or our goodness or our wisdom, but we walk knowing our standard, excuse me, our standing is secure and we walk empowered by God's Spirit who only works in accordance with God's revealed truth. Now he says in verse 21 that this righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. God has been providing solutions to man's sin from the beginning. He promised deliverance in Genesis 3.15 in the midst of proclaiming judgment He promised redemption. He rescued the people of God uh, through the, the means of the flood when Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God promised to redeem a people for Himself that all the nations would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. And more specifically, God has clarified His intention to make a people, a people that were spiritually alive, through the new covenant. You can see that in Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31. With all of these implications and foreshadowings, the righteousness of God has been clearly demonstrated in the law and the prophets, and now even more fully, more clearly demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God is on display through the Gospel and through Uh, in the face of our sin. Uh, Additionally, in this text, we see these beautiful concepts of God's character on display. Now we're going to deal with these next two all at once. God's mercy is on display, and God's grace is on display. I want to read a series of texts of Scripture here, uh, right from Romans chapter 3. Look at verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 26, it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And verse 30, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. I want to talk about these two concepts of God's mercy and God's grace all at once because they are joined beautifully in the doctrine of justification. Now we understand as believers that the doctrine of justification is a foundation upon which the church has stood. First, the the truthfulness and inspiration of Scripture, and out of that inspired text, we understand this doctrine of justification by faith in Christ alone. This is an essential doctrine of the church. And here in this text, it comes to its very clear demonstration. Justification has two very specific elements. 
There's mercy, mercy, which is withholding what is due or is forgiveness or the remission or removal of sin. Mercy. And then there's grace, providing what is not deserved. Providing unmerited favor. This is a declaration of righteousness. I want to share with you what Charles Hodge wrote on this. He wrote, To condemn is not merely to punish, but to declare the accused guilty or worthy of punishment. And justification is not merely to remit punishment, but to declare that punishment cannot be justly inflicted. Pardon and justification, therefore, are essentially distinct The one is the remission of punishment. The other is a declaration that no ground for infliction of punishment exists. That that is something you and I can chew on and meditate on and be nourished by. To consider that not only did God remove my sin, but He declared me righteous. He has not just said, oh, I'll, I'll let you in. He says, I want you. You're accepted. You're welcome because you've been declared declared righteous. Sir Marcus Lone made this statement. The voice that spells forgiveness will say, you may go. You have been let off the penalty which your sin deserves. But the verdict which means acceptance or justification will say, you may come. You are welcome to all of my love and my presence. See, God declares in Romans chapter 3 that we are needy, that we are broken, that we are sinful, and that we are condemned outside of Him. However, He has done what's necessary through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we have faith in Christ alone, He has brought us into a situation where our sin not only is not held against us, God has attributed to us, He has declared us righteous, and so we have a standing with Him that cannot be shaken. Justification. God is merciful in forgiving our sins. And God is gracious in declaring us righteous and accepted and loved. God loves His people. Have you turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ to receive from Him mercy and grace and to be declared righteous. God's character is on display. He is righteous. He is merciful. He is gracious. And this text also declares God to be patient. God's patience is on display. Take a look at verse 25. Speaking of Christ Jesus, it says, "...whom God put forth, put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith." This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. In His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. Propitiation 
which we will discuss in more detail in a few minutes, not, not too much detail, speaks by implication of God's righteous wrath against sin. Do you remember Romans 2.5? Romans 2.5 says, But because of your hard and impenitent or unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The implication is important to understand that God's righteousness requires righteousness and that God was patient with our sinfulness because our sinfulness deserves judgment. Implied in this is God's patience. And this forbearance or patience that we're talking about also was declared in verse 4 of Romans chapter 2. Look what it says there in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and, here's our word, forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God is patient. He bears with us. It's divine forbearance. Now, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, have been instructed numerous times, but particularly in Ephesians 4 and in Colossians chapter 3, to bear with. That's the word. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must do. Bear with one another. And in this sense, God is telling us in chapter 3 of the book of Romans that God was bearing with people in their sin. God's forbearance is on display as He passed over former sins. God has been patient in the face of our sin and in the cross of Jesus Christ. He has done all that needs to be done to address our sin once and for all. And through that same cross, He's able to make us fit for heaven, having the authority to be called the sons of God, to be members of His kingdom, to be accepted in the Beloved, and to be made complete in Christ. Because God bears with us. God's character is clearly on display in this text. As we move a little bit further from the declaration of God's character of righteousness and God's character of mercy and God's character of grace and God's character of patience with us, we want to recognize this. God declares righteous those who trust Jesus Christ. This is God's action. God's action. We've seen His character briefly. Now God's action. Look again at verse 22. We've read it numerous times already. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. All who believe are declared righteous. Why is this necessary? It's necessary because all have sinned. Verse 23. All have sinned. That's a past tense. All have sinned and fall short. That is a present tense of the glory of God. All have sinned and all currently fall short of demonstrating the glory of God. We fall short of of fully displaying the image of God. 
that we were designed to display. And so we need justification. And that justification comes through faith. Verse 24 furthers this discussion. And we are believers. We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We've already spoken about what justification accomplishes. The forgiveness of our sin and the declaration of Jesus' righteousness to our account. Now in these three verses, Paul gives us three aspects for meditation on the doctrine of justification. These should whet our appetite for further consideration and worship of our great God and gracious God. Uh, here are the three, the three aspects of justification he's going to tell us about. God is the source of our justification. The work of Jesus Christ is the substance of our justification. And faith is the avenue of our justification. So first of all, God is the source of our justification. This is not news to us, but He is capturing it here in this text. God is the source of our justification. Verse 24, And are justified by His grace as a gift. By His grace as a gift. We have briefly spoken of the basic definition of grace. It's God's favor supplied to us. It is God's supply for us and to us. And here he speaks of it as a gift. We've been given a gift of justification. Now, the word gift is doreon, and it's used by the Apostle John in two places in the book of Revelation. Both of these will be on your screen. Revelation 21 and verse 6 says this, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water, excuse me, from the spring of the water of life. What does it say now? Without payment. There's our freely or our gift. In the 22nd chapter of Revelation and in verse 17, God's Word says this, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take of the water of life without price. Gift. God is the source of this gracious gift. He has given us freely of His grace. Paul writes of justification as the pure and gracious gift of God. The work of Jesus Christ is the substance of our justification. It says in verse 24 that it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now just meditate with me for a moment on truths that you're familiar with. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, Paul states that Christ Jesus is our wisdom from God, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. The work of Jesus Christ is the basis, the substance of our justification. God justified us through faith. We'll talk about that in a moment. 
as a gift, he's the source, but through the work of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ departed the glories of heaven, took on flesh, fully, perfectly obeyed the law of God, the law of man, and willingly laid his life down as a once-for-all, wrath-removing, sin-redeeming sacrifice for our sins. The Lord Jesus laid down His life. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 9.15, therefore He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. You see, this redemption took place through the work of Jesus Christ, not indiscriminately, justly. It says in verse 25 of the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God put forward. God made this sacrifice of our Savior. Of course, Jesus Christ Himself says He willingly laid His life down. That's true. He came to do the will of His Father who sent Him and to finish His work. And then it says in verse 25 that He came, He was put forward as a propitiation by His blood. God sent forth His Son for the purpose of paying a ransom price that would settle God's wrath against our sin. We don't need to retrace all of our steps. But Paul has been proving to us that we are all sinners and that that sin has a price that will be paid on a judgment day. He makes this very clear in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Romans. He's prepared us to understand that our sin puts us in a position that is very vulnerable before a holy God. And that there is no amount of obedience to the law that would be able to cancel our sin. He has declared all of us, all of us, sinners. And so we're all vulnerable before God. And God's righteous wrath is poured out against sin. And what the Bible tells us is that God poured that wrath out upon His perfect Son who became sin for us, though He knew no sin, so that we might be made the righteousness of God through Him. See, propitiation is setting aside, settling, settling God's wrath against the sin of the one who turns to Jesus Christ. This, my friend, is how God can be said to be just in the justification of a sinner. Look at verse 26. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the One. Now stop right there for a moment. The One. Well, He's already told us that that One 
is one of the all who have fallen short of the glory of God, though the one who has sinned, all have been condemned, all are held accountable before God. And so God justifies sinners by removing their sin, by paying that sin debt. God is just to justify the one who comes to him, it says, who has faith in Christ. John Stott wrote a a beautiful expression here in his commentary on Romans. He wrote, Through the sin-bearing, substitutionary death of his Son, God has propitiated his own wrath in such a way as to redeem and justify us and at the same time demonstrate his justice. We can only marvel at the wisdom, holiness, love, and mercy of God and fall down before Him in humble worship. The cross should be enough to break the hardest heart and melt the iciest. The work of Jesus Christ is the substance of justification. Thirdly, Faith is the avenue of our justification. This is the drum beating throughout this section. You can hear it keep coming like the rhythm. It's the rhythm of Paul's argument. He comes with it, and he comes with it, and he comes with it again. Verse 22, he says, For the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Verse 22, and are justified by His grace. Verse 26, it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By, By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Verse 30, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. You cannot miss this clear teaching of gospel truth that justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is a universal call to the truth of God. It lines the pages of Scripture. You're familiar with many. Whoever believes on Him shall never perish but have eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In Acts chapter 17, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Repentance is one side of the coin. Faith is the other. God has called all people everywhere to turn from their sin, to turn to Jesus Christ. It is those who 
repent and believe who are justified. Their sins are forgiven and the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to their record. Believers are declared righteous. This is why Paul can boldly say in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Why? Because we've been declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. The doctrine of justification by faith is abundant in this text. God declares as righteous all who come to Him through faith. A third truth that we see in this text, and we'll deal with it very quickly, is man's boasting has been eliminated. Man's boasting has been eliminated. For the sake of time, we will summarize this last section with three exclusions based upon what Paul has taught. Because we are all sinners and obedience to the law cannot save us, God has sent His own Son to stand in our place. He was sinless and He was perfect and He is a sufficient substitute for our sin. God justifies all who believe this good news. Therefore, Boasting is excluded. Verses 27 and 28. Then, what becomes of our boasting? What does he say? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Boasting is excluded. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not only is boasting excluded, discrimination is excluded. Discrimination is excluded. Look at verses 29 and 30. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? In other words, it's the same pattern. All have sinned and all can be justified. How are we justified? Through faith in Christ alone. It's true of a Jew. It's true of a Gentile. It's true of black. It's true of white. It's true of intelligent. It's true of less than intelligent. It's true of the wealthy. It's true of the less than wealthy. John Stott made this statement. This identical truth applies to all other distinctions, whether of race, nationality, class, sex, or age. Not that all such distinctions are actually obliterated, for men remain men and women women. Jews are still circumcised and Gentiles uncircumcised. Our skin pigmentation does not change. And we, are, uh, we still have the same passport. But these continuing distinctions are rendered of no significant account. They neither affect our relationship with God nor hinder our fellowship with one another. At the foot of Christ's cross and through faith in Him, we are all on exactly the same level. Indeed, sisters and brothers in Christ. The message, writes Dr. Tom Wright, 
is simple. All who believe in Jesus belong to the same family and should be eating at the same table. That is what Paul's doctrine of justification is all about. Boasting is excluded. Discrimination is excluded because it's the same pathway. And God allows to come to him all who will come. He'll never turn aside those who come to him. Not only are boasting and discrimination excluded, also lawlessness is excluded. It's an interesting statement in verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? What do you mean, Paul? Well, faith doesn't justify. Faith doesn't give me a right standing. Sorry. Strike that from the record. The law doesn't justify. The law doesn't give me a good standing. Shouldn't I, should I set it aside then? Since, since faith gives me this justification, since faith gives me this right standing, should I set the law aside? He says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold or establish the law. We, we recognize that Upon coming to faith in Jesus Christ, one of the glorious things that Paul's going to talk about later in the book of Romans is that sin's mastery over us is broken. We've been declared righteous as members of God's family. That God has indwelled us by His Spirit, has justified us, and is now gives us the ability not only to will, but to do of His good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Later in the book of Romans, he's going to make this statement. And it is of great importance to us in our Christian life and in understanding this text. Romans chapter 8 and verse 4, it says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled not on our behalf, that's justification, but fulfilled in us. That's practical righteousness. That's daily righteousness. Some would call it sanctification. That's God's character coming out in this life. We are familiar with the doctrinal components of of salvation, redemption. There's the past tense justification. I have been declared righteous. There's the present tense of justification or uh, uh, redemption that I am being made righteous. Sanctification. And there's that day in the future when we are completely made righteous in total. That is glorification. These are all elements of God's saving plan. Sanctification. Making that righteousness displayed in my life here and now. This is what he's talking about here, I believe, at the end of Romans chapter 3. Is is the law overthrown? Do Do we set it aside? Does it have no import any longer? No, no, no. Instead, you've been credited as obedient to the law and the Spirit of God can enable you today to do what God says. You struggle? I know I do. I struggle from time to time, maybe, maybe more frequently than time to time, to love my neighbor as myself, to love my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. Sometimes this is difficult. And the more I read God's Word, 
And the more I go before him in prayer, the more I recognize my failure. But the more I recognize my failure, the more I bow my heart and bow my knee, repent of my sin, surrender my will to him. And then am a channel, have the opportunity to be a channel of God's love and joy and peace. I have an opportunity to love my neighbor as myself and to love my God with all of my being. How do we respond to these truths in Romans chapter 3? Well, first of all, through repentance and faith. Repentance. I see my sin. I see what it does. I see that it is contrary to the will and way and word of God. And I see that it demands justice. I turn from my sin. And I turn to Jesus Christ. He is the one who stood in my place and became sin for me. I turn from my sin and I turn to Christ in faith. And God, in response to this, justifies the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. We repent and we have faith. Secondly, we worship God. We worship God. There is no other way that we could have been redeemed other than the plan and purpose of God. And so our hearts melt before Him. We exalt Him. We give Him thanks. And we sing His praise. We exalt and magnify our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, both in our own minds, in our own families, in and amongst the church, and then amongst the world. We want them to know that Jesus is enough. He's done everything necessary. We exalt Christ. Fourthly, we we have no confidence in our flesh. I have nothing to offer. My flesh, my way, my will is stubborn and often directly contrary to the will of God. No confidence in my flesh. And so I bow my heart and my mind before the Lord and say, Lord, help me. Help me not to walk in the power of my flesh, but help me to yield. Yield to your good spirit who can give me everything I need to demonstrate who you are. So that rather than continuously falling short of the glory of God, the Spirit can demonstrate your glory in us and through us. And finally, we should be burdened for the lost. There are so many that don't know this life-altering, eternal destiny-changing truth that Jesus paid it all, all to Him we owe. Let us be burdened for those around us. And my friends, there is no more vulnerable time that we've been alive than now. Your neighbors, your co-workers need to hear about the hope there is in Jesus Christ. Let us do what we've been called to do, which is to represent our God clearly, confidently, joyfully, humbly to our friends for God's glory and their good. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Your faithfulness astounds us. Your character 
impresses us. Your mercy is breathtaking to us. We pray that You'd help us to rejoice in all You are and all You've done. Please be glorified in us. Enable us this week to look to You, to share Your wonderful truth with others, both believers and unbelievers, and to demonstrate your work in our lives as we seek to meet the needs of those around us for your glory. Work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.